Welcome to Standing at the Edge, the podcast. This is Casey Stratton. I hope you're doing well. I hope we're finding you in these crazy times in a good space or just being honest about where you are. It's June 2020. I'm in my home studio. I don't have soundproofing stuff going on right now with this. So it's you might hear train whistles. My cats are in and out of the room. There's stuff happening. It's real life. We're going to roll with it. It's been a long time. It's been nine years since the last episode of my previous podcast, which was just called the Casey Stratton Podcast. Some of you might remember. I used to record those live, actually. Um, eventually, we had video live as well, um, and we went to Ustream, which I don't even think exists anymore, and I would uh, do them live, and people could comment, ask questions. Um, this one is pre-recorded. Um, we're going to be talking about all sorts of stuff. This is season one. I'm going to do 12 episodes. We're going to drop them on Thursdays, wherever you get your podcasts. The main landing page for the, the new podcast, Stand at the Edge, is anchor.fm slash Casey Stratton. So that's where you can find all the different places you can get the podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts. It's all over the place. There's seven different platforms that the podcast will be on. The 12 episodes of this season are all going to be shaped around identity. That's going to be our main um, topic. Uh, the first few episodes will just be me, and then eventually uh, we'll have guests and do some interviews to talk about d the different ways that we identify in society and intersectionality, which is where we carry multiple identities. Um, I think now more than ever, that's a really relevant conversation to be having. Of course, where are we in current times? We're in a pandemic. It's COVID-19, a coronavirus. It's a novel coronavirus, meaning it's new. Um, we've been in lockdown. I am extremely high risk, which we're going to talk about in the first few episodes here. I have been quarantined in my house except for three mi three mile walks uh, since March 13th so it's been a long haul um, I've realized as this has gone on that I'm much more of an introvert in my older age than I was when I was young so my life doesn't feel all that different except that I don't go to work and I really miss going out to eat guys Oh, I miss it. I miss that feeling of just like having a glass of wine or a cocktail and then the appetizers come out and you're having conversation and then the food, like I'm a foodie and we're going to talk about that too because I now have a very limited diet. So we're also dealing with a lot of talk around racism, specifically around Black Lives Matter, which I firmly support and I'm trying to do better as an ally. I'm trying to learn more. Um, I was already on this road, but everyone can do better. I still make mistakes. I still say the wrong thing. I can sometimes make it about me when it's, the conversation should be centered around my friends of color and colleagues of color. Um, and my my husband is black, so he's biracial. So a lot of conversations happening. Um, honestly, like if I'm going to be really vulnerable, which I am always, you guys know, those of you who have listened to me before or watched my YouTube videos or my Facebook videos or even just read some of my posts. I tend to be pretty vulnerable as a songwriter. I tend to be pretty vulnerable as a person. Um, it's something that I feel comfortable with now. Um, it wasn't always that way. But uh, sometimes it's hard for me, even just on a personal level, when I'm feeling really bombarded by the news and then I don't even really feel like I can talk to my husband about it because I don't want to add more stress to him as a person of color to try to clean up my mess. So I'm trying to get better of like checking in with him, seeing how he's doing it and being more comfortable to share my thoughts and feelings because he can get overwhelmed a little more easily than I can. Um, 
and kind of just shuts off and doesn't want to talk about it. And I do want to talk about it. So especially not being able to be around my friends as much, um, I've had to be more intentional about having FaceTime and Zoom calls so that I can talk to my friends and process what's happening because I think I have a pretty healthy marriage, so I don't get everything emotionally that I need from my husband. I have other people in my life that I can process things with or talk about certain things that I don't necessarily talk to my husband about. So it's been a time of learning. I think we're all learning a lot about who we are and what we need to successfully navigate these times. But w with the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey, it's important uh, to keep these names in the conversation not to, to erase what's happening uh, with different populations, especially when we're talking about black trans people because they are extremely vulnerable in our society uh, to violence. Uh, I just read that the average lifespan of a tr black trans woman is 35 years. I mean, that's just unacceptable. So we've got a lot of work to do. We're gonna be talking about stuff like that in this podcast. We're gonna be having those difficult conversations. I've been having a lot of trouble on Facebook, honestly, with posting Black Lives Matter content and getting the All Lives Matter pushback, um, which we'll get into that. But I just really hope everybody is taking care of yourselves. Um, one thing I found that really helps me is to limit my social media and my reading of the news. I purposefully don't often watch news. I read the New York Times, NPR, I'll listen to NPR, but I don't like to watch the news. It's too stressful. I want to know what's going on in the world, and it's important as a citizen who feels like I need to participate in systemic change. I feel like I need to know what's happening, but I have to uh, monitor how much of that I'm taking in because that's what I know I need for self-care to be okay. And uh, now I pretty much don't go online after 7 p.m. or so at night. And I found um, a lot of the mornings now, I will spend two to three hours just doing stuff around the house or even just laying around with my cats so I'm not taking in social media right away. I'll wait two or three hours before I even read emails. I don't even open my computer. I don't even look at my phone unless I want to know the temperature or something like that. So a lot has happened in nine years. Uh, in the preview of this podcast, I talk about it. Um, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about what I've been doing since June of 2011. Uh, and then some issues that I started having and how that affected my identity as a musician, first and foremost, and then as a person. Uh, and then I had two heart attacks in 2017. So whew, that was a surprise. Uh, I was 40 when I had the first one. And the second one was a month after I turned 41. I'm 43 now, right? Yeah. So a lot has happened health-wise. Uh, my life completely changed and flipped upside down. So we're going to be talking about that in the with the lens of identity and what that means and how that it's changed my identity quite a bit. So let's dig in. Since June 2011, a lot has changed in my life. Um, in 2011, in July actually, which is one of the reasons I think I stopped the podcast. Oh, now that I think about it, it must have continued because I did some afterward. Huh, see how your memory works? I think it's just because I changed to the Ustream platform. Um, but I did a few more after my cat Henry died. Some of you might remember that. Um, I had had him for 16 years. I, I actually... 
um, he came into my life when I was 18 years old and I had just moved to Los Angeles. And then we moved to Chicago and New York and then ultimately Grand Rapids. So I had had him my entire adult life and I was 35, uh, almost 35 when he died. So it really impacted me a lot more than I expected. Uh, the grief process was very intense. Uh, months and months and months of just being in a terrible, terrible place. So then not even a year later in uh, June of 2012, my cat Charlie died. And then in October, my cat June died, who I'd also had for 14 years, 15 years. So it was just, oh, the grief. It was intense. It was just I was in a fight with the universe. I could not function very well for a while there. Uh, things were just insane. And then a week after June died, I started a, a new job, a full-time job. So, wow, a lot, a lot happened. I ended up with two more cats, Max and Simon. Then my cat Wendy died in 2016. And uh, then I got a cat named Ronald Weasley. That was already his name. So he's a big puffy ginger guy. And then uh, I got a cat named Luna in 2016 as well. 2017? 2017, I think. Yes, because I call her my heart cat. Because I ha uh, she came into my life in between my two heart attacks. I didn't know I had heart attacks, FYI. I found out after the fact that that's what had happened. So, um, and now I have a cat named Rosalie that I got in the summer of 2018. Yeah. So five cats and my husband and I living in a house in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I think it's like they say with kids, once you have, once you have more than three, it doesn't matter. So I have to look at my notes. I got to cheat. I have a little bit. I like to be off the cuff. I don't like to script stuff, but I like to have an outline. So um, in 2012, I applied for a job that I didn't end up getting, but it led to an opportunity, uh, which originally was me just trying to get some more teaching experience um, at the Boys and Girls Clubs of Grand Rapids. They brought me in as a consultant because they wanted to start a music program. And um, I had just finished teaching the singer-songwriter uh, courses at Interlochen Arts Camp in the summer of 2012. So then they brought me in because they were going to write a grant to start a music program. When they got the grant, they asked me if I would be interested in applying for the position. And at first, I wasn't sure. But then I thought, hey, steady paycheck. I've never ever had that because I was a server before I was a professional musician so my world revolved around tips and you just wouldn't know you'd have good weeks you'd have bad weeks so the idea of having a check every two weeks that was the same was so foreign to me I was like all right sure so it was interesting to like apply for the job for the program you created for them but uh I got the job and I started at boys and girls clubs and very quickly I learned that while I enjoyed teaching what really excited me was providing access to music lessons for kids that would not have the opportunity normally, whether it's a financial barrier or their schools didn't offer anything, uh, lots of reasons. Uh, I worked with a lot of kids that were experiencing poverty. One thing that's really interesting is that I've noticed that a lot of kids that are experiencing poverty, they're not, they don't really know that. That's the reality, right? So they're not really aware. They might know that there are other people who have more things or whatever, but I found that most of the time the kids, it's not like, Sarah McLaughlin with her dogs, right? So it, the, a lot of white people, let's be honest, they would like cock their head to the side and be like, oh, good for you. Like thinking that I was walking into like these kids that were sad faced all the time, like they were in one of Roald Dahl's books or something. I don't know. So I just remember these drawings as a child of 
some story. Anyway, not important. But kids, they're 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 amazing, and they had so much to tell, and so many stories to tell me, and things to say, and they had a, a perspective and a view, and uh, they loved music. And a lot of the kids had never touched a piano before. They had never played a guitar. They had never been able to do any of those things. So the the look on their faces, it was just so exciting for me. And then just getting to know them and seeing them push themselves to be better. And I had a few students in particular that just really worked so hard and it just brought me such a sense of of reward because for so long my life had revolved around like my career so you're the center of this universe and everybody around you that's working for you they're there to do something for you so it can feel incredibly lonely it's a weird paradox because you've got a lot of people that work for you and to make sure that things go smoothly for you but you're kind of alone in a lot of ways it feels lonely so it was really interesting to do something where it wasn't about me, it was about giving back, it was about helping young people achieve something and feel good about themselves and social emotional work that I would do with them. That became my specialty still to this day in the nonprofit world. I was still, I'm laid off right now, but just temporarily uh, until we figure out what we're going to do. I now work at the YMCA of Greater Grand Rapids where I am the Y Achievers Director, which is programs for middle and high schoolers to help them work on 21st century skills, which is just a fancy way of talking about things like collaboration, creativity, uh, how to work well with other people, how to take initiative, how to be flexible, all that kind of stuff. The things that employers are saying the workforce currently lacks. See, we've already got a cat in, in the room. You're probably hearing. It's okay. So um, that program is great. We also work a lot on career readiness, like understanding what careers are available. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I got from Dr. Ron Ferguson from the Harvard Achievement Gap Initiative is that we have to help young people care about what they're good at or be good at what they care about. And it's really that simple because we all want to lead fulfilling lives with jobs that we enjoy. So it's all about working with young people to help them understand what is available to them. What do they want to do? What are they interested in? What careers are in that arena? And then what is the plan? And we all know life doesn't go according to plan. So we, we kind of help them understand that too. But I've learned in the last eight years of working with youth that they don't believe you. <laughs> and I used to do that kid too, so I get it. I'd be like, oh, no, no, that's not what's going to happen to me. Everything's going to go exactly the way I planned. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. It didn't. Spoiler alert. It did not go exactly as planned. So that's what I do on a professional level. Isn't it funny how as human beings, we qualify and quantify so much of our identity around what we do? I think it's interesting that my first, outside of talking about personal loss with my cats and my new cats which there you go. If you want to know what, what I care about, I immediately talked about cats. Um, but then I immediately launched into professional stuff. I mean, I guess that's why you're here. If you're listening to this, you're probably either a fan of my music or a personal friend or something. But I do think it's interesting how much we place stock on what we do. I mean, think about going to, you go to a party and people come up to you and, hey, I'm so-and-so, what do you do? Which, mm. That used to be tough for me because I would say I'm a musician and then it's like, what, what kind of music do you make? And I'm, I don't know. I've, it's so hard to describe. Um, but this is actually funny. It came up in my Facebook memories. One of my students, um, when I worked at Boys and Girls Clubs, came up with the best description of my work that I've ever heard. This other little boy said, hey, Mr. Casey, do you make rock music? And another student said, oh, no, bro, he makes up on your feelings music for adults. <laughs> and I thought, or for grownups or whatever he said. 
<laughs> and I'm like, that is so perfect. Up in your feelings music for grownups. It's true. Gotta own it. So yeah, I've still been making records. Some of you know. I haven't made one though in three years. And I'm gonna talk about why. Uh, and that's weird. I have never since 1995 gone more than a year without making an album or writing a song. So very, very interesting. Um, and I'm finding that I don't miss it. So hmm. I know I'll get back into it eventually and I can feel myself going toward that. Some of you, if you've seen on, if you're fans of mine or whatever on Facebook, I, hate, I don't like the word fan, but uh, if you like me on Facebook, you might've seen that I've been going through on my musician page, every song from Standing at the Edge. I just finished that today actually. Uh, and just talking about the song itself and then talking about the recording process, the difference between some of the original versions and the Standing at the Edge version. Um, it, for a long time, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder about that record and Divide. Well, I guess if I'm honest with you, it was a chip on my shoulder because now I have some long-term perspective, but I definitely had the most listeners then. And I think that's when a lot of people first heard of me. So they have a soft spot for it. But as an artist, it's an interesting thing to have someone say that something that you did 17 years ago is their favorite thing you've done. Cause your instinct is, well, I've done a hundred million things since then. So is that what we're going to talk about? But it's okay. Um, I do think in some ways I peaked then even artistically and that's okay. And I get it now and I have some perspective on it. Uh, I think I just, the songs I wrote in that period have some sort of quality to them that I think people feel very nostalgic about and I think they still hold up pretty well for the most part. And uh, I think people were going through stuff and we were all going through it together and I think we remember that. And as time goes on, not that my work doesn't have relevance or personal value. And I will say there are plenty of people who say their favorite thing is something later. And at the end of the day, who cares what someone's favorite thing is? I mean, I do care uh, for you as individuals, but for me, like, that's not why I do this. So everybody has favorites. I do too. So if I think about the artists I like, of course, my favorite album is probably not the last one they made, Shh. but whatever. Um, but I do try to make every record different and every record I'm trying to push myself to learn more and do more. Um, but this is where I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, things started changing in my life and I was having physical problems that were making music making harder for me and I really struggled. So around 2015, I started noticing that I lost a bunch of my high notes. They were just suddenly mysteriously gone. I could not sing as high as I did before. And at first I just chalked it up to aging because I was 39. And I thought, well, you're just getting older. Maybe it started a little earlier, like 2014. But I started noticing that I couldn't sing as high as before. And then I started noticing when I was tracking vocals on the albums that my throat was really tight. Like I could only sing for like 15 minutes at a time. And then I'd just be, my neck would hurt so badly. And my throat would just feel so much tightness and pain and strain. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. I'm a professionally trained singer. Like... I don't do that. I know how to sing and keep my throat, you know, loose and not be tense. Um, and then I was overcompensating because it hurt so much. So then my shoulder blades started hurting really bad and like all oh, just my upper back was just a mess. So I started doing things like getting massages. I talked to my doctor about it, but we were just like, I don't know. So they did do an x-ray of my neck because it hurt so badly. And we noticed that I had um, degenerative spinal issues and I was an inch shorter from one year to the next with my physical. So somehow I had shrank an inch because my neck was basically just disintegrating my spine. Um, so then 
And not only could I not sing well, my fingers started to lock up. It was, I think, Christmas or Thanksgiving um, of 2016, I believe, when all of a sudden we were playing a card game and I went to like, I had my cards in my hand and then my my index finger just like froze and it was painful. I couldn't bend it. And I looked at my sister-in-law and I said, what is happening to me? And we all kind of laughed. But then over time it got worse and worse and my fingers on both hands started locking up and I it was like claws. I just couldn't, they would lock and then I couldn't bend them and it was extremely painful. It got to the point where I could not write with a pen. So my coworkers would have to fill out all my paperwork for me and I would just sign everything because I could not even date it and even signing stuff was difficult. I couldn't write a sentence. I could not do it. So they sent me to a hand surgeon. And so here I am, okay, as a musician. Suddenly I can barely play the piano because my hands aren't cooperating. I can barely sing because something's going on with my throat. So I'm frustrated. And I'm still making records, y'all. Like if you, I don't, I'm not going to say like go back and listen to my work with a lens of like I was in pain, but you might notice that the high notes aren't as high and maybe the vocals sound a little strained. People started saying things like your voice is maturing, which was just a nice way of saying that I didn't sing as well as I used to, <laughs> which is fine. Um, and I wasn't because I couldn't um, and I didn't know what to do and I could not admit to myself and this is going to be a theme and I think it's a human theme. I could not admit to myself that anything could be seriously wrong or that anything could be permanently wrong. I thought it's going to go away. If I ignore it, it will go away. But yeah, going forward with care, yes. But my identity has been so much about being a musician. And I luckily had unpacked a lot of that in my late 20s and early 30s. But a lot of my work, like one of my most well-known songs, Hollow, is all about my relationship with myself, that I was very, very bullied as a child. So my social capital was all wrapped up in being a talented musician because that was all I felt that I contributed that had any value to anything. And I had to unpack that I had value as a person and that I deserved love and I deserved what other people have. I'm getting emotional right now. I'm talking about it. So when I could not do the thing that defined me as a person, it was a problem. It was difficult. But I was in a lot of denial. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to really face that I might never be able to be the same kind of musician. And this is also a theme for me. I've had to face, and now we're all collectively facing this, nothing being the same anymore. And I don't think after this pandemic, it will be ever the same. I don't think we're ever gonna live in the same world. I think it's gonna be very much like 9-11 was, or worse, where things are just irrevocably different. So I go to a hand surgeon. The hand surgeon um, does a bunch of tests, they say, okay, well, you have carpal tunnel a little bit. Obviously, you play the piano. That's to be expected. I could fix it, but I don't think that's your issue. I don't. He's like, I think there's something going on with your nervous system. And it's interesting because my physical therapist had also, I mean, she knew me better than anyone as far as my body and how it was working because I was going to physical therapy for my hands. But she started saying, I think something's going on with your nerves, and I think some, I think it's in your neck. Just from what she was seeing and the fact that the hand therapy was not really working very well. I did get to the point where I could eventually like write a sentence or a paragraph, but that was about it. To this day, I can, I can write about one paragraph, that's it. Um, so they ordered a nerve test and the nerve test came back abnormal. So then they ordered an MRI. Now, I had the nerve test in between the first two heart attacks. I had the MRI one week after I got home from the hospital when I found out I had actually had a heart attack. And I'm gonna talk about that in the next episode more, in more detail. 
So by that point, I'm like, who cares about my locking fingers? I, I'm trying to survive at this point because um, I had both heart attacks are considered massive. Um, I had a 99% blockage of my left anterior descending artery, which is the one they call the Widowmaker. And I had a 100% blockage of my right coronary artery, which supplies the blood to your lungs. So the fact that I was even walking around was ridiculous. Every time I go to the doctor to this day, they're like, you are a lucky person. <laughs> you are a lucky human being. And that's a whole other thing with identity we're going to talk about. When you get this whole, like, you're lucky to be alive thing and you feel like every day has to have these extraordinary moments and have meaning, it messes with your head. And I can't remember if I said that this was an explicit podcast or not, so I'm not going to swear in this episode, but I might in the future. So anyway, I go and have this MRI and it comes back showing that my nerves are being pinched both inside my spine and coming in and out on both sides at uh, what's called C6 and C7 cervical spine um, chunks or whatever, the vertebrae. Uh, so they're like, all right, now we know what the issue is. So they sent me back to physical therapy to see how I would respond. Um, and I did that for another year. Um, and then in October of 2018, um, I had another MRI done because I just wasn't, it was getting worse. Um, and I was in so much pain because I would get pinched nerves and they would last like eight to 12 weeks and I'd have them in like my shoulder blade area. And I just got to the point where I couldn't even tie my shoes. I couldn't clip my fingernails. I still sometimes can't um, because I just lost all strength and all coordination in my hands. They just wouldn't work because my nervous system was not properly able to send the messages. And there's still some of the damage we're thinking now, well, June 18 will be a year and a half since I had cervical spinal surgery, which is where I'm coming to with this, going around in circles a little bit. But some of the damage is probably permanent because I still sometimes have issues. So playing the piano is hard for me because I have to simplify things with my left hand especially. And my fingers move just like a few milliseconds later than my brain tells it to. But when you're a musician, that matters. So it's like my hands are behind my brain and I've had to learn to compensate for that it's been extremely difficult so one of the reasons I haven't made music is because I just got so frustrated I, I it's a weird thing to be able to do something and then all of a sudden you're not as good as you used to be I just I got so mad that I couldn't play my own songs properly that I would just honestly get very angry and throw stuff and say I'm out so I, the, the second MRI showed that it had gotten to the point where my ability to walk and my ability to hold my bladder could be an issue. So they said, you don't have a choice. You have to have cervical spinal fusion. So I had that in December of 2018, so a year and a half ago. Um, and that was crazy. Um, it was the most invasive surgery I had ever had. Nothing with my heart had ever been that intense. My heart stuff was done with what's called a catheterization, where they go in through your groin or your wrist to get into your heart through your arteries. Um, so that's scary and stuff, but and there's recovery involved and whatever, but it wasn't anything like having your spine torn apart and have fake parts put in. Um, so that did initially helped quite a bit um it was i was still in pain but what was really interesting was that my high notes came back but my voice was really messed up for a while because i had been intubated so for a good year solid year my voice was really weird like it had this weird flatness to it the tone changed i couldn't like 
push my mid-range out the same way. It was so bizarre. And again, here's my identity as a singer. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I can't sing the same at all. But my high notes came back, but then they left again. So something in my neck with my nervous system is messing with my vocal cords. And that's what we've come to realize. So I'm getting better and better. I don't know if the range will come back, but I am getting better at singing, quote unquote, normally for me. So crazy times. And I think if I hadn't been a musician, it might not have been so challenging to navigate. I'm not a wimp about stuff. I learned real quick after the heart attacks that I can I can put up with a lot. I'm, a, I'm pretty strong. I have a really high pain tolerance. Um, I, and I like when I found out I had heart attacks and was admitted into the hospital, I had never been admitted to the hospital in my life. I had never had a broken bone. I had never had more than stitches. So it was a lot. It was a shock to the system. Um, but I, I didn't cry or anything. I was shocked and maybe scared. But I, I thought the minute everybody finally left and I was alone for the night in the hospital that I would break down in tears, but I didn't. I threw on the Great British Baking Show, which turned off to be a turned out to be a huge mistake because I didn't end up eating for like 36 hours. And I'm watching the show, people baking cakes and stuff. I'm like, what was I thinking? But I literally just watched Netflix on my computer and chilled out. I did have to call everyone I know. I remember that. I remember being in my room on the hospital phone, calling everybody. Anyway, more of that next week. So, so much changed so quickly. It was really intense and it was messing with my, you know, idea of who am I? If I, if I can't make the same kind of music or like make it the same way at the same level, I have pretty high standards and I've had to learn to lower them. I've had to understand this is what I'm capable of now. At least I can still play and sing at all. And I'm slowly but surely getting into a more of an acceptance space with that. I mean, because it is grief. I think all of this has been grief. And now we're all going through this collective grief. So I think that's something too we'll talk more about in future episodes. But I was grieving the loss of my normal. I was grieving the loss of my ability to play very well, my ability to sing as well as I was used to, and then just my health, the loss of my health. I thought of myself as a pretty healthy person, and the doctors did too, so that will be something we talk about next week as well because it became quite the journey to figure out what was going on in my body that I would have two heart attacks at 40 and 41. Because I used to be the guy that like listened to NPR and you'd hear some story about someone having a heart attack when they were young, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's shocking. And the funny thing is I still do that and then I have to go wait that happened to you so it's fun the things we do psychologically to survive right so that's what's been going on next week episode two we'll talk more about the heart attacks especially because it is so intense um and I just you know hopefully this is something you all are interested in and if not let me know So next week, we're going to talk about heart attacks and the identity crisis that that created. Um, but in the meantime, feel free to comment on Facebook, on Twitter. I'm at Casey Stratton on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Casey Stratton Music on Facebook my, is my musician page. 
Uh, and you can always email me at podcasts with an S at caseystratton.com. If you have a question or a comment or a concern, or you want to tell me to F off, this is so boring, whatever, it's all good. And, uh, please share if you want, if you want to share the links to the podcast and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, you can always write reviews. It's great. It helps. Um, right now I'm not going to do any ads, but we'll see moving forward. I might take the Brene Brown approach. I don't know if you guys are listening to unlocking us, but I highly recommend it. She will only do ads for companies that she really actually enjoys their products and she does not do copy she doesn't read copy she tells stories about how she uses the products and gives recommendations and things like that so that could be something we do but it's not really important so that's this week of standing at the edge with casey stratton and it's been really great to quote unquote talk with you uh and just uh share what's been going on with me and I love hearing from you guys online so please continue to share with me and comment to me uh, next up on Facebook we're gonna be going through divide I might take a couple days off but we'll be going through divide and this podcast is gonna drop on Thursdays FYI so again feel free to email me at podcasts at caseystratton.com and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts I really hope you stay safe and stay well wash those hands I'll talk to you next week <laughs>